It's episode 16 of Down and Nerdy, and if we're ever on mushrooms, it's because we're trying to get taller. Yes, yes, or any sort of plant from the Nintendo Earth. Exactly. I always thought it'd be cool to eat, eat the plant and get the fire that you can spit, too. I thought it's called acid. That's what we have today. It's called acid. Well, then there's that. I'm James Witham alongside. Nick Battaglia. And it's been a great week, as it usually is. And, you know, what, what were you up to on the weekend? Uh, well, this weekend was... Busy, you know, at work and stuff like that. And but I wanted to go see Twenty Two Jump Street. That was pretty awesome. Pretty, it was actually pretty hilarious. I'll say it's probably one of the best sequels, especially for a comedy, um, because they actually poke fun at. Yeah, we did the exact same thing as last time. But they had like, these little pokes at like mm-hmm. sequels for like comedies and stuff like that. And it's really, it was hilarious. It's, it's, it's funny too because if you think about it, there really haven't been many good comedy sequels. No. I mean, there's plenty of good sequels, but as far as comedies go, there really aren't many. Like, the end credit sequence is probably one of the most funniest end credit sequences ever, because it, it just goes to show, like, yeah, we're gonna make it fun of people who, like, stretch out, like, you know, mm-hmm. number 17 of this comedy film. It's like, we don't need that. And it's, yeah, we don't need Scary Movie 18. And, but they make much. fun of that, though, at the end. And, and, stay, and stay after the credits, because there's actually something that's even hilarious with, with Rob Riggle at the end. Uh, I, the theater was packed. You know, I, I went and it was just, like I said, I was just nonstop laughing. I was almost crying in my seat. I was actually surprised because I really thought, you know, animated stuff usually does really well. I thought that How to Train Your Dragon 2 would actually top it out. I thought it would be close, but I thought that it would, you know, overtake it. Yeah, but I think that when you look at 22 Jump Street, you look at all the viral marketing. Like, for example, it all started when we had that, remember that Rob, that, hey, Rob Van Dam. Uh, then <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme split commercial. Yes. And 22 yes. Jump Street, they pretty much spoofed it. Yep. And that's was their start of the whole viral marketing. That's got you excited about it. And it was just, it was very hilarious. And well, the, to me, there was the, and I, my wife and I were talking about this. I said it was the Channing Tatum factor. Oh, yeah. It's the guys that want to go see the movie because it looks funny for them, but they have no problem bringing their dates along because they want to see Channing Tatum. Yes. So well, it's, well, also, that, that helps. Watch that, but it's, it's started off, this movie, I think, started off um, what's called the bromantic comedy. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I mean, there's been other kind of, like, bromantic stuff out there. But, I mean, this is, like, the bromantic comedy, pretty much. At least this, these two um, movies. And that's where you get a lot of guys that are friends with each other. Mm-hmm. So they'll go and they'll, quote-unquote, bro out. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it was exactly like that. I mean, it was, it was hilarious. It has that factor to it. So it, I, I fucking loved it. So I'm going to drop this little nugget for the next time Cody's on the show. Because you texted me. After you got out of the movie and you said, you know what, I was looking at Channing Tatum and, and he, I think he might actually be able to pull the gambit look up. No, I, yeah, well, shut up. You, no, mince, no. You're mincing words. No, you, no, I you said, have been trolled I now. said, no, I said that as far as movement goes, because that was a big thing, like, oh, he's too bulky to move like gambit. He can move like gambit because in the movie he does a lot of like parkour, he does a lot of his own stunts. That, that's what you know. I swear to God, I wasn't written in his contract that he had to do this because he's like, you know, what, I'm playing a superhero. I got to show people I can move like this. I have to train, and this movie needs to be part of exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> that goes yes. As far as playing Gambit, I said no. So well, don't you dare mince my and, and, I just and think, twist my texts around. I sir. just think that you thinking that 
he could do anything again, but like, well, anger Cody, quite a big deal. Well, anything pisses off Cody if it's not like this guy. If this guy doesn't meet a certain height requirement, doesn't look like it. <laughs> if they don't cut the fucking people or, or, or pictures out of the comic books and put them in front of a camera, Cody sh- will be pissed. If they don't share the same birthday, if they don't like the same foods, yeah. you know, Cody, Cody's out. But I'm just going to be really interested to see how Cody responds to that. And oh. I, by the way, just FYI, I don't disagree with you. I always said that, you know, Channing's an athletic guy, so right. I don't see why he wouldn't be able to do it. Well, like I said, Not Stephen Amell with his training. Oh, my his God. Training, that that video was absolutely uh, amazing. Yeah. If you don't go, go on Facebook.com slash Nerdy. We uploaded, or I uploaded the Stephen Amell training video. Mm-hmm. It's him doing parkour, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And he's training for the next season of Arrow, and it's amazing. I, the guy, my, my wife says I've got a man crush on him because I, I talk about him too much. Yeah. It's a good show, man. And he's he's the perfect he's the perfect Oliver Queen Green Arrow. I wouldn't have asked for for better casting there. But I digress because my weekend. Of course, you know I've got a a baby coming. Of course. And it's not it's only a couple months away. So we decide you know because we still need to get some baby clothes and stuff like that. So I decided to uh, I said to my wife I said let's go to the, th- the thrift store we've got to drop off some stuff for donation anyway let's go to Salvation Army uh-huh. and see if we can get some baby clothes I promise I'm going somewhere with this by the way so don't stop the podcast I won't so <laughs> so we're we're looking through the stuff and you know it's a thrift store uh-huh. so I mean you're gonna get your fair share of crap so I'm flipping through little onesies and stuff and then I stop dead in my tracks and what do I see a Tarzan onesie it's the Baby it was almost like the light was shining down <laughs> on it. It was this a Superman onesie with the Superman logos all over it, and I'm like, yes, yes, I have found, I've got a golden ticket. <laughs> and then I pick it up, and I show my office, like, look, she's like, all right, let's get it. And I said, okay, let's see how much it is. And I swear it was fifty cents. Yeah, but that light you said was shining. It's probably like that one lowly flickering bulb, and like you see in. Every Salvation yeah. Army, pretty much. It was it was almost like the yellow sun of the Earth fueling Superman's power for me to find this, to find this onesie. It was it was pretty incredible. So I, I got to tell you, as far as little moments for me, that was that was a pretty good one. That was like your that was, that was like your proud dad moment kind of thing, like before your son was born. Yeah. You know, it's like I, it's like it's, it's like one chance you could like pat yourself on the back before people start saying, "We get it, you're a good parent. Yeah. We get it." Yeah. Look at the pictures of my kids. See, 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 see. see? Yeah. Now, I'm gonna try not to be that guy, but you know, I, I it's think gonna it's gonna be tough. I it's hard tell. not to be proud of your kid too, though. You know. Yeah. So I mean, I get people that do that. I mean, some some people. My kid pooped annoying. today. Here's his shitty diaper. I will never do that. I <laughs> promise the world right now, you will never see poopy diaper posts from me. But I, but you know, there are some parents out there that will are just that too proud of their child. And you know what? And and. It, it is annoying, but, you know, if you want to be proud of your kid, fine. I'd rather that than be the exact opposite where you're ignoring your kid completely. Because I know people like that, too, so... Well, I mean, if your kid kicks your ass at, like, Halo or, or some sort of fighting game, then, yeah, you would want to ignore them, please, for maybe a You'd day. get a little mad. I understand that. Yeah, you don't want to be beat by your kid, absolutely not. It happens to every father at some point. I remember but... my dad, when uh, he wanted to learn how to play Xbox, the original Xbox... And I had NBA Live 02. And he's like, oh, teach me how to play it. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is going to be fun. And my, I'm teaching my dad, okay, this does this, this does this, right. this does this. And he's just like, you know, I'm the Lakers and he's Miami. And he's like. Ooh, back in 02? Back in 02. Ooh. Um, yeah. So he was like, okay, so we're playing and stuff like that. And he was doing okay at first. 
But then, by the end of the first quarter, I was up like 40 to 18. <laughs> and he was getting pissed. Like, come on, like, give me a chance. Yeah. Give me a chance. I'm like, I'm trying to teach you. If it was like Nintendo, where it had the simpler buttons, you know, just the D-pad and two mm-hmm. buttons, that's fine. But as far as like Xbox goes, yeah. my dad's just like, I can't do it. My sister can game. My sister's amazing at gaming, by the way. But, you know, and, and so is my brother-in-law. But but my dad, not so much. It's funny, and, and I don't want to get off too much of a tangent here, but it reminded me of a story. I taught both my cousins, uh, who were both like brothers to me, by the way, Sean and, and Will, if you're listening to this. Uh, I, bought, I taught them both everything they know about gaming. Right. So we had, and, and it was tech. Remember Tecmo Basketball? Of course. For NES? Of course. So we had that, and... I always took a lot of joy, in a weird way, watching them play against each other, because they're brothers. Yeah. So it would be ultra competitive all the time. Right. You know, it's the thing where they're at each other's throats, and they're elbowing each other to mess yep. up the controller kind of thing. And I swear, and I don't know how it worked out like this, every time they played against each other, it would go into like triple overtime, there'd be last minute yep. baskets that would go in to extend the game, and then whoever won... Threw it in the other one's face. The other one got pissed and started chasing him down the hallway. <laughs> so I always remember that. For that, and that story just made me think of it. Uh, one last video game story before we move on to to what we're reading. Um, my cousins. I had two little cousins, Corey and Blaine, and they would always come over to our house all the time. Now I'm like five years older than my cousin. My cousins now they're like 16, 17 years old. But back then when they were like eight, seven, and I was like fourteen. You know, um, I had N64. Right. And I had WWE No Mercy. Uh-huh, and yes. we'd always, they would always come over, and that's all they wanted to play was the wrestling games. Well, because, you know, it was the only game I really had where you had the multiplayer. I mean, I had like right. Star Fox and Pokemon Stadium and stuff like that. But they loved the wrestling games. And Not to mention, that's when it was still huge yes. anyway, so that makes sense. And so I had, you know, like three controllers, and we're playing, and I'd always beat them so bad to the point where they were like on the verge of crying but what I would do is I was smart because when one would be like oh come on all you do is beat I would pretend like okay I'm putting a cheat in and you we swap players so mm. pretty much I made them believe that they were me and I was them right. so when I'm beating the crap out of them and pinning them and getting the victories they think they won and they got the victories just so they wouldn't go down to my aunt and my uncle and saying he's beating me he's He's beating me at Nintendo. Oh, I hated that. He's oh, beating me, and you deserved well, it. Well, it was like, well, I mean, yeah, it's it just, it's, it was just, I hated that. I mean, it was just, you know, you, you played, didn't want to kill their self-esteem. No, you, yeah. you, you don't. But I mean, by killing self-esteem, though, James. Now we're going to what we're reading, and the, your comic. I mean, we were, we're both reading this this arc, and we're ten issues into it, and it's Batman Eternal, and both of us have kind of had the whole. Oh, when are they going to get back to the whole Jim Gordon thing? And so, I mean, going to issue 9 and 10, what's your reaction? Well, i got to tell you that they... And and you know it's so hard for me to say anything bad about Batman anything. Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious from the show, from Facebook, everything. It's it's pretty difficult. But i got to say that after... What, like issue 3, issue 4? Yeah. To, for me, it started to drag a little, and they started getting away from all the stuff that made... I mean, the first the first issue was so great. Oh, yes. I mean, it was so dynamic. It was start to finish just so awesome. And, you know, Scott Snyder, James 
Tynan, Tynan the fourth, uh, John Lehman, Ray Fox, Tim Seeley. It's this like mammoth team of writers that have been doing these issues. Yeah. And I got to be honest though, getting to the art for a second, the uh, art's by Ricardo Bercelli. And I got to be honest, I'm looking at the cover by Gillian March and I'm thinking, I, God, I wish Gillian March was doing the art for this. Oh, yeah. Because the cover art's a little bit better. I'm not saying the art's bad. No. I just think that after the first issue, the cover art seems to have been better than the art inside. When I was when I was reading it, and you mentioned the cover art and the inside, it was issue 10, which was the one that came out last week. And I'm like, oh, wow, it was a really inter- you know, detailed cover. And you open Very it up, so. and I felt like I was reading Daredevil. I, I can't go that far. Well, not okay. Maybe not Daredevil. But it was. It felt very pastel. Okay, I'll say this. It was like reading the second issue of Original Sin. There were there were panels that were very pastelish. Yeah. I can see where you got that, especially once uh, Professor Pig started getting into the uh, into the story. Which can I just say? I really wish they give Professor Pig more time. Yeah, I mean he's just so demented and weird. The guy and, takes animal heads and sews them onto humans. I know. And when he had Falcone on that table. Yeah. And he wants to turn Falcone into a falcon, which I laughed out loud. Yeah. When I read that, I'm like, really? Come on, man. That's cheesy. That's like a joke that I would make. But when they wanted to do that, I'm like, yeah, you know it's not going to happen. But at the same time, you get a nice little chuckle out of it. And then he's got Catwoman, and she's like... Oh, yeah, like, are you a lion, or are you a yeah. cat, or should you be a cat? Just the dialogue from him... And, and the back and forth with him. And then when he finally gets caught by Batman, he's like, no, no, never mind, forget it. I'm, I'll go quietly. Yeah, not me. the snout, not the snout. So he's a, bad, he's a badass until the bat shows up kind of thing. But I just wish they'd give him a few more pages because I think he brings interest into the story. And he just kind of shows up. Yeah. There's no real rhyme or reason for him to be affiliated with anybody. No. Other than, you know, Falcone blew up his lab. So then and can I say this, though? And this is something I didn't really fear, but I'm like, okay, this is where it's going. The part where the new commissioner, and this is a spoiler, so if you if you you know oh, these are always spoilers. Yeah. yeah, where he meets with Falcone and you find out that he that he was put there by Falcone after which we kind of knew, which you kind of knew. You're like, okay, GCPD is always very corrupt, mm-hmm. and when you got a new man at the top, and especially when he's doing all these things like, oh, don't chase him or don't do this or you know why why does he have such an agenda against the Batman? You know. You're like, okay, he's got to be teamed up like with Falcone or something. Mm-hmm. But I found it pretty interesting when Batman in issue 9 went to Japan. Yeah, that was, per- that that was, was pretty cool. That was pretty interesting. And then he found out the straw that stirred the drink. Falcone wasn't defeated in Japan. He was paid off and left because he heard some interesting news about Gotham and he went back there to finish the job. Yep. I think that they really got back on track... With issue 10. It's almost like, you know that stuff that we were forgetting about in the last few issues? Yeah. We're getting back to that. Like when they've got Jason Todd in Wayne Manor, and uh, he tells he tells Jason, like, look, I need you to look after ba- ba- Batgirl, Barbara Gordon. She's going off the rails a little bit, trying to prove her dad's innocence. I need you to follow her kind of thing. Yep. We've got this uh, Julia, Julia Pennyworth, was Julia it? Pennyworth, Alfred's so daughter. So then you've got that connection. Speaking of Alfred, I do not like the way they draw Alfred. No, he looked like Tim Burton on crack. I mean, it was it was almost like he his face was sliding off of his... His face was going to slide down his chin and off of his body. Yes. So that's one criticism I can... Another criticism for the art. But I also liked how... Okay, Falcone's trapped... With Professor Pig, and he's kind of holding him hostage for medical supplies and stuff like that. I love how Forbes is telling the GCPD, eh, just don't go in there. Take your time. Because of Falcone chastising him in the last issue, 
Forbes is like, okay, I could play ball too. I'm going to let this guy cut you up. And I'm not going to save you. And then Batman, of course, comes in and, and yep. saves the day, which it was more for Catwoman than for Falcone. Oh, yeah. Let's just be honest about that. But And then I also like they kind of bring this Clue Master thing back in as well. Right. Now, I still don't think we really know what the Clue Master is up to. Right. We don't really know what his connection is to all this, but it's his daughter, Stephanie, that I think is going to end up playing the major role. Of course, you see her planting the story about her dad in the paper. Yep. And if anybody doesn't know the know the canon of, of the Clue Master story is that his daughter, Stephanie, actually ends up becoming a character called the Spoiler. Yeah. Of course, spoiler alert, she's the Spoiler. So she basically is trying to ruin her dad's plans. And if they stick to the canon, Cody, you're listening, so pay attention. This is important. If they stick to the canon... She ends up dating Tim Drake, yeah. who's Robin. And when Drake walks away as Robin, she takes over as Robin for a while. Yeah. When he walks away from it. So she's the spoiler, becomes Robin, ends up getting fired by Batman, by the way. So we'll see if they go that route. But, but. the fact that with her, I like her arc. Like she's living she has she's living in fear because her dad is out to I would say kill her. Well, she was supposed to die in that drive-by shooting, shooting but uh, she got out of the phone right. Booth in time. Exactly, exactly. And and it all starts because she goes, she she has a fight with her mom, goes to her dad's, and her dad and these other people are, are in costume and planning some evil thing. It looks like a weird cosplay meeting. It's like it? cosplay and Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, combined. it was really strange. It, it, it's like that scene in Kick-Ass Two when they all meet you know mm-hmm. together and then that you know with, with Sergeant Stars and Stripes. I looked at that panel with all of them together and I'm like. I don't care what your name is. I don't take any of you guys seriously at all. So yeah, I but, mean, our cosplayers that we post on Cosplay Tuesday are better than that. But go on. But no, it's just like so. It's kind of like okay, he's hunting down his own child, and his mother, her mother's. Yeah, in it turns out too. she's in on it. So good luck, Stephanie. Yeah, and her mother's the one that tips off the father mm-hmm. too. So it's kind of be presents an interesting kind of thing, like you know, with you know, battle of conflict within for the clue master of like okay, you know. You see, they're doing surgeries. Like, come on, you know, you're trying to say this is my daughter, kind of thing, or whoever, and, and they're trying to save this person, but it's yep. not it's the person that they shot in the phone booth. Exactly. And I kind of think that they've been building on this for several issues now that the big reveal, whenever they decide to do it, is going to be who is this person that's behind it all that's the one that kind of tipped Falcone off and made him come back to Gotham to try and do this gang war. And I'm, you know, I'm throwing some names around, and you know, I thought, you know, hey, maybe it's Damien, maybe it's going to end up being Damien in the end, maybe Scarecrow. And then I stopped on a name. Uh-huh. I want to see what you think about it. What if Hush is behind the whole thing? I can see Hush. Another name I can see is Roman Sinatras. I mean, it could Black be Black Mask. Mask too. But if you kind of look at the last panel on. Batman Eternal number 10, you kind of see a face in oh, yeah, the distance, the kind of in the shadows. So that's why, I mean, it kind of looks like it could be Damien. Maybe they did that on purpose uh-huh. to kind of uh, to kind of throw you off. But here's my thing. You remember the first issue? They've got Bruce Wayne pretty much crucified as Gotham City burns to the ground. And the reason right. I say Hush, think about it. Hush is actually trying to, was trying to destroy Bruce Wayne's life on every level because he blamed... Bruce's parents 
for saving his parents, who were bastards, basically. Yep. They were, you know, his father was an alcoholic. His parents were terrible to him. He wanted them to die. And the Waynes saved his parents. So he ends up going crazy, ends up in Arkham, where Scarecrow kind of experiments on him slash mentors him. And yep. that's how he ends up becoming Hush in the first place. And if you think about the way Hush has been used in the past, too, is where Hush is actually a master manipulator, where he's using other villains to do exactly what he wants done. So that very much kind of goes along with how Batman Eternal has gone so far. So it could be that Hush is behind the whole thing. But my question to you is, is Hush a big enough villain to where if that's the reveal, you go, oh my gosh, really? He's behind it? That's awesome. It'd be different. I think that another name that I'm going to mention that could be behind is Rachel Ghoul. That's a possibility. That's a possibility because they want like, a much bigger name. Hush would be more interesting because of what you just said. Like, he wants to destroy Batman. I mean, why else would he bring Falcone in to have his agenda to, hey, stop the Batman and stuff like that? And remember, if I remember correctly, Hush ends up falling in love with a gangster's daughter, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. So, again, gang war, That's that could be part of it that, that will be... Maybe they'll allude to that in the next few issues to kind of give us that tip-off for those of us that know that, hey... This could be Hush yeah. that's involved. And you would think that Hush would kind of be able to pull off the trickery that gets Gordon thrown in the slammer in the first place. That's something that maybe he's not technically savvy enough to do it, but the idea behind it could certainly have been conceived by him. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it'd be really interesting to see where this goes. And, and I mean, we're 10 issues in, and, you know... It, I'm glad they're going back to the whole Gordon thing. You know, I mentioned in passing, you know, the trials beginning to start yeah. kind of thing. It and saved me. Issue 10 saved me and brought me back and said, okay, so they're not going to keep ignoring all this other stuff. They're going to get back to what they were doing before. And I know it's tough to balance all the stuff that they've got going on, and that's why it's a weekly. You're going to well, get a little bit more in-depth character analysis and development than you would in a monthly. Well, here's the thing, too, is, you know, it's a weekly, as you mentioned, and... You know, the stuff with Gordon. I think if they focus just on Gordon, if the whole Batman Eternal arc was just figuring out what happened with Gordon, who caused him to shoot the thing, it'd be, it wouldn't be as interesting. Yeah, it's Gordon Eternal, well, Batman, Batman Eternal. Well, because Batman, well, Batman, all of his comics, has a very convoluted, very diff, different angle, diff, you know, different stories going off at different angles, but they're all connected somehow in, in, in the comics that uh, for Batman. And so it's kind of like, okay, we need this whole, you know, now Jim Gordon's gone. Now we, what we need happens after the, the most... Um, influential, uh, straight-edged, you know, straight-arrowed cop is put behind bars, and now the mob runs the... Now it officially runs the police station. Pretty much, yeah. So what happens? Crime's going to go up. Mm-hmm. Gang warfare's going to happen. It's going to be all a big turf war. Because now if you really think about it, the GCPD is now run by Falcone, mm-hmm. so he can have... Not only does Falcone have his mob, he has a whole fucking GCPD. Exactly. And I think that... We complain a lot, not we, but as a as nerd culture, we complain so much sometimes about how there's not enough character development. You don't spend enough time on this person. You don't spend enough time on that person. I want to know more about this. And now they're giving it to us, but then, you know, some people have started to complain about it. So I'm glad that they got back to it. But Nick, speaking of getting back to things, you decided to turn back the clock again. I did. And, you know, my last classic comic I did was Elf Number 1 when, when Mike Federale was here. And this one is one of the comics my mom brought down. She got a flea market for like a couple bucks, 
and it was it, no just the headline. Remember how when I talk about Spider Man, um, and it has a, the death. Of, you know, when I was at the uh, first Taiwan Con, you had that him and the death of Thanos. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's the cover that like gets you. This one is got me as well. I looked at it, and it's based on the What If series that Marvel ran from '89 to '98, uh, or no, '89 to '98. I'm sorry, ran from 1977. And it starts now. It's still running now. The newest one is What If Age of Ultron. Mm. And this one's called What If X- the X-Men Died on Their First Mission. And the What If is it's an anthology th- series by Marvel. And it tells pretty much alternate reality stories outside of the universe continuity. Right. And it's narrated by The Watcher. And, Interesting. And it starts, like, the first couple pages are narrated by The Watcher. And it's written by Roy Thomas. Art's done by Rick Buck- Rich Buckler, who did the penciling. Sam De La Rosa did the inking. And Evelyn Stein did the colors for it. Now, art-wise, like I said, when you have an old comic, as this is made in, made in 1990, you're going to have that kind of oldy comic book-looking thing. But it was very colorful, Yeah, though. it doesn't make it bad just no. because it's older. You, What you do is, when you get older, and this ages me a little bit, I guess, <laughs> you, you kind of get appreciation for things the way they were back then. You know what I mean? You can appreciate something for what it was yeah. in that era. And then you kind of compare it to stuff now. And sometimes you even go, wow, for back in the 80s... Or early '90s, this was pretty darn good art because look how far we've come. But look how good this was then compared to some of the other stuff. Well, yeah, and this was issue number nine. It was it was part of volume two, which ran from '89 to 1998. And the plot, now I said, it's narrated through the Watcher. And pretty much, Lady Mora goes to America to visit Xavier, who he's told he's very very ill. And it's Hank McCoy who tells her, "Hey, he's ill. Like, mm-hmm. not not dying, but he's just in a very state of I can't be around people." Thing. Right. And we find out that Banshee, Storm, Sunspot, Wolverine, Thunderbird, and Nightcrawler were captured on a uh, living island of Krakoa, which was, a, and this is a month before Xavier went ill, and this is what leads into him becoming ill. So Cyclops, Iceman, and a few others go on a mission. Xavier sends them off, say, "Hey, go save the X Men," and um, they ended up fighting this living. Island, and the only way that they could defeat the island was by using electromagnetic means to negate gravity. So apparently, they had to launch it into space. Makes sense. So they launch it into space, but none of the X Men, except for Cyclops, are able to get off the island in time. And it doesn't explain how he gets off the island. It just shows him bandaged and pretty much in the arm of Xavier. But it's alluded to that he dies after getting off the island. Okay. So all the X-Men die in space, pretty much. And Xavier's feeling the death of these 13 X-Men, all one by one, all the pain. And so he's sent into this, like, Days of Future Past, where he's sent into this whole, I I can't be around people, it's all my fault, da-da-da-da-da. You know, and it was was pretty interesting art, story-wise. Here's my only plot hole in that, though, is that Wolverine dies? He gets launched into space, dude. Yeah, but he's still Wolverine. Still, it's in orbit in if space. Anything, he can't fucking live in if space. If anything, he's being constantly tortured because he's got a healing factor. So he dies, heals himself, and keeps dying. Exactly. That's terrible. Exactly. So he's not dead. He's dying several times. But, you know, he's, he's dead for fuck's sake because it even says in the comic, one of the X-Men died and has an X over his face. He dies. As I said, you know... It, they, they and they said when they were all launched into space, they all died for different reasons. Like Wolverine couldn't breathe, dude. That's how he. They all. But, but you breathe. see the problem here. But it doesn't matter if he. Okay, so if he can't breathe, he can't 
But then generate, it's, it's actually worse than dying because he's actually he constantly dies over and over again. But look at X Men: Days of Future Past, though, when he's underwater and he pretty much drowns. Yeah, but he pretty much drowns. But, That's the but picture him being launched into space. Yeah, that would suck. And not being able to breathe. That's how he dies. It's not like he got cut up and he can regenerate his body. Uh, to me, it's more like a fate worse than death because he's not supposed to be able to die. You're looking way too fucking much into this, man. So, well, it, hey, if everybody else can pick stuff apart, this is me picking something apart. Ugh. But anyways, um, and Beast tells Mara what happened, and then after what happens, Xavier pretty much doesn't want anything to do with, you know, he just wants to go and, and live... You know, in, in peace, Obviously, kind of thing, yeah, and just be yeah. by himself. And pretty much, Count Nefaria, he takes over NORAD and is going to pretty much blow the world up. <laughs> and and Beast is like, well, Xavier doesn't want anything to do with this, so we'll, you know, what can I do? He uses Cerebro. Beast is the only one other than Xavier who knows how to use Cerebro. Right. And he uses Cerebro, and he finds because. The Avengers are unavailable. The Fantastic Four are unavailable. So Bad he, time for them to be off doing something else. Yeah. So he uses Cerebro. He tracks down Quicksilver. He tracks down Scarlet Witch. Nemorita, who is some Mariner's cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, Teresa Rourke, who's Banshee's daughter. Mm-hmm. And she becomes Banshee. And James Proudstar, who's Thunderbird's brother. And pretty much they go and they fight on and they fight and they defeat Nefaria and stuff like that. And... It's pretty interesting because there's this uh, little girl called Rain, who's like with Lady Mora the entire comic, and it's known as she has mutant power. Mm-hmm. But at the at the end, pretty much towards the end, when they're getting the new X Men are getting their asses kicked, you know, by these these beast men, pretty much. And um, it's kind of like in the Amazing Spider-Man game where like you had you know Rhino mixed in with you know a human mixed in with rhino blood it's kind of like that so it's like that you know like an ape mixed with human blood and stuff like that and so on and so forth and they could talk and everything um and so after they defeat them the young girl rain transforms to a wolf and fights so she's kind of like a beast girl in a like sense. a lichen almost kind of like. yeah. yeah and so after he's defeated and everything um Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch pretty much leave you know like we, we, we would join the X-Men but we're, we got stuff we gotta do right because they're Avengers. Like, we don't work part of the Avengers already. We, we can't really be part of the X-Men. Right. And so after defeating Nefaria, Beast, Namrita, Banshee, Proudstar, and then Rain become the new X-Men. Huh. And it's in the alternate universe. And it's just like, you know, and the Watcher just ends it by saying there's these new X-Men, and then these, and then these, and it's all connected. Now, the only problem I had with this, really, was that it's very, very dialogue heavy. I mean, there's four to five word bubbles and an average of nine panels per page. <laughs> wow. So like, every panel has at least four to five word bubbles, pretty Talk much. Talk about what you're reading. That's a lot of reading. That's a lot of reading. But like I said, the art was good. The, the I thought the idea was very fascinating. It's an interesting concept. I mean, it would be interesting to see what it was like in some of the other issues uh, as well. Because I know you said you jumped in on issue nine. If it was dialogue heavy in that issue, I can only imagine yeah. what it was like in some of the other issues and how everything got set up. But I mean, it's it's good to have what ifs like that. Like I know uh, DC does uh, Earth Two, which is a separate universe kind of thing. So something that happens in an alternate reality, I I happen to like those kind of stories because it's it's different and it gives a little bit of a break from the from the normal everyday stories and it, it gives you a chance to see what would happen. 
if something like that were to occur. So I think it's a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah, I mean, overall, it was, it was great. Um, I, I think that, you know, it, it presented, especially if you're reading Original Sin, I say it's a good something to read because, again, the deals with the Watcher and yeah. just, like, what he sees. <laughs> the Watcher did exist before Original Sin. Yes. Um, but, no, so, I mean, overall, pick, uh, if you can, find it in a long box somewhere, you know, for a couple bucks or at a flea market, Pick up what if the X Men died in their first mission. I mean, if you're at, if you're local and you go into the next uh, Mega Nerd Garage Sale that uh, Tidewater Comic Con is going to be doing yeah. on uh, July, I think it's July fifth. Yep. Um, and you can find more details on that Tidewater Comic Con's Facebook page. But uh, I mean, they have dollar boxes and stuff. You never know. If I'm through dollar box, you might get some of these comics. I mean, if your mom found it at a flea market, you never know. You never know. And that's going to do it for what we're reading. But coming up next is Trail Talk. We're going to be talking Birdman. This week, a little bit different, <coughs> pretty interesting movie that's coming out. Stay tuned, we're going to talk about that. Also, this is our cosplay episode, so we got an interview with Pterodactyl coming up, and you won't want to miss that, so stay tuned. More Down Nerdy coming up next. Well, it's not quite Birdman, but it's still Birdman. It is still Birdman, and this week's trailer talk is Birdman. So, when I first heard this, James, and we just talked about this a little bit during the break, when I first saw, okay, there's a Birdman movie, and you see the costume, it's kind of similar to the, the animated series in the 60s and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You're like, oh, cool, so somebody got the rights to the Hanna-Barbera Birdman. I was excited when I first heard there was a Birdman movie, and I'm still excited, but in a different way. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, but then it's, like, it's not what, what it is, it's totally something totally different. And But it it's pretty much follows a washed-up actor named Regan Thompson, who was played by Michael Keaton. And he was he played Birdman. It was a crime fighting superhero, and he had a three film franchise. And pretty much, he's all, the actor. You know, he gets all washed up and everything like that. And then he gets brought back to do a Broadway play to kind of redo his whole past glory. So it's kind of like if they got you know. Uh, Adam West to come back and do Batman the musical. I actually think that... Except Adam West isn't washed up. Adam West rules. I actually think that getting Michael Keaton was fitting for this. I oh, mean, yeah. Michael Keaton playing Batman. I think that... I can see how this meeting went, where he went to this meeting, and he, at first he's he's probably thinking, ah, screw you guys. And then he was like, wait a minute. And he's, and this goes, is perfect. And he just goes, I'm Birdman. I mean, this is perfect for him. I mean, he's kind of lived this. He mm. was Batman for two films, and then he wasn't Batman anymore. And then, let's face it, Michael Keaton didn't do a whole lot after Batman. So, hope he did Jack Frost. And that was fantastic. That was we. Oh. I'm not saying Michael Keaton fell from grace necessarily. Maybe there was reasons that. He didn't do much else, but, I mean, he's the perfect guy to embody a guy that was this major superhero, yeah. had this huge franchise, and now, look in like in the trailer in the beginning, he says, how did we get here? Yeah. I think that that's very appropriate for Michael Keaton, who I love, by the way, and I'm glad that he's doing this, because I've always been a big Michael Keaton fan, not just because of Batman. Beetlejuice. There's been a lot of Michael Keaton movies that I've really enjoyed, so I'm glad that he's back finally doing something. Yeah, but I mean, also in the movies, it's Emma Stone, Ed Norton, Zach Galifianakis, Naomi Watts is in it. It's directed by Alejandro Gonzalez uh, Inarritu, who did 21 Grams, um, which is a pretty good movie. And it's pretty interesting to see how this was. Like I said, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, it's like the old cartoon. They're actually like, you know, but it's just made as an independent film or something. Not the case. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's pretty interesting. I mean, hey, 
this is, you know, they're taken to the superhero genre, so why not? You know? Yeah, and I think that this is a good way to look at it, too, in the grand scheme of things. And, I mean, I don't want to get to the whole, you know, a whole, whole poor famous actor kind of thing, but think about the lives that these guys lead right now. Think about somebody like Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, yeah. I mean, even Henry Cavill to a certain extent, even though it's not there yet for him. These guys are at the top of their world right now. Well, except for Brandon Routh. Well, <laughs> he's not there anymore, so he doesn't count. But the guys that are I'm talking about the guys that are doing it now. Oh, yeah. The guys that are in this now, they, could, they couldn't get any better for them in their careers right now, especially the Marvel guys, because everything's going right for them right now, and the cash is there. But what happens... If a movie fails and it starts to unravel and then all of a sudden it's over. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. Let's say, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but let me just use this as an example. Let's say Guardians of the Galaxy bombs mm-hmm. at the box office by comparison to the other Marvel films. Right. And from there, all of a sudden, the Marvel Cinematic Universe starts to go downhill and then three, four years from now, it's over for these guys. Right. What happens then for them? So I think this is a good peek behind the curtain of something that could happen to an, to one of these actors or has happened to actors like Michael Keaton in the past. So I think that this is a very interesting, very cool take on something that could be based in reality. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and it's it's. It, I like that it has that reality kind of a take to it, and... Emma Stone, there's not much about her character, but it seems that she's the girl that kind of gets him back into like, hey, you were this once great yeah. guy, let's get you back out there. And there's an ego there that, that comes with being that kind of a huge star. I mean, look at Robert Downey Jr. alone, and I love him for it. Yeah. But, I mean, there's an ego there. And then, you know, you've got the family issues of, you know, he was probably gone while he was filming, so now he has to put the family back together because his career's over. So, you know, maybe you're going to get the whole making up for lost time kind of thing, but the family's rejecting it. So it would just be very interesting to see the whole story as it as it unfolds from start to finish. And the fi- the scene in the trailer where he's fighting with Ed Norton oh and his tiny Oh, my God, whiteys, so great. That was funny. And the stagehands are just standing there like, uh, what's going on here? We can't get in the middle of this. <laughs> so, I mean, I think they're going to mix in a little comedy. I think there's going to be a lot of seriousness to it. I think there's going to be plenty of times where you're going to feel sorry for Michael Keaton, and then there's going to be other times where you think Michael Keaton's a douchebag. But <laughs> this, and what's ironic about this is this could be the film that brings Michael Keaton back. Oh, yeah. To actually doing films again, which would I would be psyched out of my mind about because I've missed you, Michael Keaton. <laughs> and then, I, then we can get the, finally get that Harvey Birdman turning at law movie that we so yes, desperately want. Please let that happen. We were talking about that with Federale briefly. I just want it back. I don't. I mean, even Space Ghost. I'd love to see Space Ghost back. It doesn't too. be a movie because it'd be like yeah, a, just an Adult Swim. Give me thing. something. Give Hanna Barbera, who's probably been bought by somebody by now, and I yeah. can't really think of it off the top of my head, but. I think it's Warner Brothers, actually. Uh, so, give me something. Give me one of those animated films. Just give me a two-hour film of Birdman or Space Ghost or something like that. And just satisfy my childhood. And that I need to have some of this in my life. Uh, just give me, just for Adult Swim, maybe make like a two-hour event. Bring back Space Ghost Coast to Coast. <laughs> because you, that, you, you that, could that do was, that. I love that you show so that. much. That was fun, but I mean... 
And I actually look for it too. Every t- I seek it out. If yeah. I ever, I always say, "Is there Birdman on DVD? Or is there Space Ghost on DVD?" You know, give me a, or just give me the set. Just put it out. And put that DVD box set out. The Hanna-Barbera collection. Yeah, give me whatever. that nice little ultraviolet digital copy so I can have my little copy on my, on my, so I can stream it. And you know, just let me relive the what was it like thirty nine episodes? Yeah. Of Birdman, just give me that, and maybe in a backwards way, if this movie's successful, that'll happen. So I'd be stoked if that happened. I'm excited. That's it's very exciting. But speaking of exciting, we have a bunch of nerd news coming out. We got some sad news to talk about as well, and then the passing of Casey Case. So we'll get more on that. But a bunch of DC stuff. We fi- might actually have the schedule releases for their films. Let's so won't, do this. We'll see how we feel about that. Um, but coming up next, it's nerd news. Don't and you won't want to miss that. Stay tuned. More down here to come up next. All right, boys and girls, nerds and nerdettes alike, it's time to go around the interwebs because it's time for what, James? Nerd, nerd news. news. And the first story, James, probably the one of the biggest stories this past week, and that's we f- might finally know. What DC is doing with their cinematic universe. And it's funny because it comes from a former reporter for a deadline, uh, Nikki Fink, who actually, this was this is her first news yeah. back into the entertainment field. And it looks like they're go- they've got a pretty aggressive schedule that's going to start with Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. I'll just go through the list here. And this is, of course, not confirmed yet. I'm thinking that by Comic-Con we'll know what the plans are when DC does their big reveal. But it would start with Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice in May 2016. And then immediately after that, in July of 2016, would be Shazam. Which I believe The Rock was actually confirmed to be Black Adam. I haven't seen confirmed yet, but... but It's a strong rumor. Let's just say that The Rock's going to be Black Adam. Which we said weeks ago. We've said that a long time ago. And then Christmas of 2016, so that's a third movie in 2016, (laughs) but it's going to have nothing to do with Justice League. It's Sandman, which Joseph Gordon-Levitt's been attached to Sandman for a while. I haven't read Sandman yet, so I can't speak too intelligently on it, but it's always been a very cool arc that I've wanted to start reading, so I'm actually going to start picking up uh, the Sandman trade so I can get caught up. It's just a very interesting-looking story. And then we move on, of course, to the big one, Justice League, in May of 2017. And then finally, finally, Diana gets her own movie, July 2017, Wonder Woman, Finally gets a standalone flick, and then, of course, another movie in 2017, Christmas of 2017, with the Flash Green Lantern team-up movie, which is what Kevin Smith alluded to. That's very smart. I mean, you know, we, I bash I bash DC, a lot of people do too, for putting a lot of characters in Dawn of Justice. I'm really glad that they're not rebooting Green Lantern because I think the main reason is because it was such a ginormous flop now they and did very expensive. Say, now they did say Ryan Reynolds will not be back. Thank fucking Christ. So we can be grateful for that. Which, please God, go John Stewart route. I was just going to say, John Stewart or Hal Jordan? No, I'd rather see John Stewart because... it's It would allow them to completely eliminate... That green. That's, that's the thing they want to do is they want to completely so, eradicate that. From I wouldn't minds. be surprised if they do that. And of course, I, I didn't want to forget to mention May 2018 going to be Man of Steel two. Now, here's a little thing that kind of got me, and I'm and this is a little bit of a tangent. At no point did Warner Brothers or DC ever say that this next movie was going to be a sequel to Man of Steel. Yeah. If you if you look if you really look back and you really look at when how things came out, they never said. That this, what ended up be calling Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, 
was never said by anybody in charge to be a Man of Steel sequel. So we're not going to get the Man of Steel sequel until 2018, it looks like. Well, that, but I think the, the problem a lot of people have is when you have a, something called Batman versus Superman, which is, you know, world's finest. It's a finest. stupid title. Well, the reason why is Still. because you have, to some extent, you have Cyborg in there, you have Wonder Woman in there, Aquaman's going to be in there, Jason Momoa's been mm-hmm. cast as Aquaman. So you're pretty much bringing all these people in, so it's like, wait a minute, why are you calling this Batman versus Superman when you have the entire Justice League in there? It makes no sense. Right. And, and we've alluded to this many times, so we won't go over why it should be called World's Finest and why maybe that's not a good idea, because we've covered that in past podcasts. But I actually like the fact that they're going to take a lot of these characters, maybe not all of them in this first film. Right. But they're going to take a lot of these characters. We already know Aquaman. We know Wonder Woman. We know Cyborg. But they're going to be quick cameos to bring the character in mm-hmm. so when they show up in a Justice League movie... It makes sense. Maybe you see, um, maybe you see uh, Victor Stone on the football field, as and of course you know he's cyborg. Maybe you see Diana Prince in uh, in her regular street clothes. Maybe you see Arthur Curry in some forty. Although I think he's going to be Aquaman the whole time. Yeah, I really do. I think that. And now remember, the Amazonians and the Atlanteans didn't always get along, so maybe that's how Wonder Woman and Aquaman come into the movie together. At the same time, with their little cameos, maybe that's part of it. We don't know when these cameos are going to occur during this film. We don't know how long they're going to be. But I can tell you this, is that I don't think it's going to feel like it's jumbled. I think when they bring them in, it's going to be... It's going to make sense to where they're at. Right. I don't think we're going to see Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and, and Cyborg all at the same time. Right. They're going to bring them in. Like, when, when Star Labs eventually gets introduced into the film... That's when you're probably going to see Silas Stone, Victor Stone, Cyborg. They'll do that. They'll move on. There'll be no more talk about it. Maybe at the end. Maybe at the very end, like an end credit scene or something. Yeah. But and then when they're ta- maybe when they're talking about this destruction in Metropolis, maybe that's how they bring Aquaman in because they, you know, he did something to the ocean and Aquaman's pissed or something. Which, by the way, you know, you know, I talked about this yesterday. Yeah. The main complaint about Man of Steel was all the destruction that Superman did. And that's not Superman. And and I said to you, because I was thinking about this, what if that was all part of the plan all along? To get Batman in there. To get Batman in there. To get Aquaman in. To get Wonder Woman in. Maybe this was the thing that got everybody's attention. And that was the w- reason to be able to tie in all these other heroes. Now, here's the thing. is that We got that picture of that Superman statue. So it's like, well, wait a minute, after he does all this destruction, they still erect a statue in his honor. Right, right. And maybe that's part of the problem that pe- that these other heroes are going to be upset about. Well, they're not heroes yet, but they will be. Yeah. Um, maybe that's part of where they're going, hey, wait a second. You know, you, you people are cheering this, especially Aquaman. You know Aquaman. Oh, yeah. From the, especially the New 52 Aquaman is all, wait a second here. This isn't right. You know, he's the guy that... He's, he's, he's the Cody of the Justice League. <laughs> he gets pissed off when stuff doesn't go the way it's supposed to go for him. So it's, it's one of those things where that's maybe how he comes in. But if they use that destruction, Man of Steel, to set up this whole thing, it was brilliant. And well, it was totally worth it. We even said... We were talking last night. He said, yeah, there was somebody that wrote an article about, like, yeah, how about in Superman 2 with Christopher Reeves when he's fighting Zod? Yeah. And they're destroying Metropolis? Yeah, how about when he throws Zod into that giant Coke sign? By the way, product, pl- product placement in that movie is brilliant. 
when he throws Zod in that giant Coke sign, sparks everywhere, stuff's falling. I mean, come on. Yeah, no lives were endangered there. Christopher Reeve's been the golden boy of Superman for a while, and I love Christopher Reeve as Superman. I think but... throwing Zod to a Coke sign, though, is much different than throwing Zod through a fucking building. Oh, it's, and I'm, there's no over. doubt. It's, so it's different. There's no doubt it's different, but think about when the movies were made, too. They weren't going to be doing They didn't have the technology. But still, to do it's, just, if, it's just that fact, though. Like I, I, just, I would be very curious to know if they were able to do that back then, if they would have. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know, but, you know. Jason Momoa's been cast as Aquaman. I mean, how do you feel about that? I'm not really too high on it. I think Conan wasn't... I mean, I like him in Game of Thrones, but Conan wasn't really great. Uh, I wish. He doesn't look like Aquaman. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to sit here and say it's the perfect choice. Um, they're going to get the look right. They're going to... You know, the hair is going to be right. He's going to shave the beard. Uh, they had that photo on Instagram with him holding a trident, which is kind of like a little Easter egg yeah. kind of thing. Um, I think that if this casting tells me nothing else, it tells me that the rumor about them going for a more barbarian-ish type look for Aquaman is the route that they're going to go. I think there's a fine line there, but Aquaman's been the butt of the Justice League for a while, and he's not anymore. Yeah. Uh, And I think that this casting is for that reason. They don't want people to go, ha, Aquaman sucks. Let's just forget about Aquaman. No, they want you to care about Aquaman, and they want you to see that Aquaman's a badass too, and he can do some damage. So they wanted to go with somebody that had that Conan look, that barbarian-esque look. Now, he's not going to come out full beard probably. He's going to be clean-shaven. The blonde hair will be there. But he's gonna when he gets in that costume, he's going to look menacing. Right, And I think that's why they did this more than anything else. I worry that he can't act his way out of a paper bag. But I think that as far as the look, they're going to get the look they're going for. Whether or not that's the right look, I don't know. Uh, uh, but one person that they haven't mentioned, though, is Martian Manhunter. So, I mean, what do you think they're going to do with him? I mean, that's... He's a, of all the characters, he's the one guy that said they haven't mentioned at yeah, all. Yeah, and it's weird that they haven't. And it's weird that they're, they're going to do Shazam. Yeah, by himself and not do anything with Martian Manhunter. And Martian Manhunter kind of got the boot from the Justice League when Cyborg became popular. Yeah. So it's like, and then they shoved him in as kind of the de facto leader of Justice League of America, which is now Justice League United uh, in Canada. It kind of made him the de facto leader of that. It's almost like he's the bitch now because of what happened with, uh, with Cyborg. So they might not do anything with Martian Manhunter at all. I think if they do... It'll have to be in a, a, pardon the use of this terminology, like a phase two kind of thing. I think that DC's heard a lot of the chatter of too many cooks in the kitchen. They don't want that to happen. Right. They don't want to get to the point where it's too much, too fast. They still feel like they need to play catch up, clearly, with this aggressive schedule, seven films in three years. But I think they still want to do it the smart way. What I want to see is if they do end up using these television series as platforms for their films. So are we going to see when we finally get that Flash and Green Lantern team-up movie when we do in 2017, is it going to be Grant Gauston playing the Flash in that movie? Yeah. And they've dropped Easter eggs all over the place that Green Lantern's going to be introduced in either Arrow or the Flash. Will whoever that Green Lantern is be... The Green Lantern in that movie, maybe. 
Maybe. We'll, we'll see. And, I mean, speaking of casting for Green Lantern, I mean, they, or not Green Lantern, but for Aquaman, John Heater, he said that he wanted oh, to play that Aquaman. Was, that was hilarious. John Heater from the point Diamonds, I would play, I would love to play Aquaman. Of course you would, John, because your career is nowhere right now. Could you imagine what would happen? If that announced God, Batman, you idiot! Could you imagine how, not just this show, but just the internet in general, the memes that would pop up if John Heater, it would put the Ben Affleck Batman memes to shame. It'd be like Uncle Rico, I bet you I could throw a trident over that mountain. Now, if they were doing a Super Friends Aquaman movie, (laughs) John Heater would be perfect, but not so much. But not so much. Now, speaking of perfect and... I'm, I'm, I've never really alluded to this on the podcast before, but I'm I'm in, in the radio business. I've, I'm I'm a DJ, and Nick's in the radio business as well. And I think it doesn't get much more perfect in somebody that you look up to more for me anyway in the radio business than Casey Kasem. Yeah, Casey Kasem passed away early Sunday morning. Um, and the quick thing about me is I'm not going to spend too much time talking about the business, but um, back in 2011, I was an intern. I, alluded, I wrote this up on our Facebook page as well. I worked for Fox Sports Radio in 2011 um, in Los Angeles, and I got a chance to work with and meet his daughter, Carrie. And Casey, I just posted a picture of, of this on, on our Facebook page as well. Casey's studio was right across from ours, and I walked by every day, and he retired in 09, but the fact was that just that even every day you're like, I wonder if he's in there. Just the fact that a, the door is there. The fact that the door is there, you the know? fact that they still have his name on the, on the door pretty much, on the studio, it, it's just amazing. Um, but Carrie is such a fun, loving, and nice woman. And you, you see all the qualities that he had as a father and as a man. And, and you know, I, my heart goes out to her and her family and her siblings. Definitely. And her, you know, especially everything, I'm not going to get too much into it, but everything that's gone on with her father up to his death, you know, it's just very troubling with her stepmom and everything. And um, But he he was diagnosed with Parkinson's, um, but it ended up being Louis by disease, which, which is a type of dementia that made him lose the ability to right, speak. Right, um, And when you're as, as iconic as Casey Kasem, in the, to have that, to lose the ability to speak... It, it's, it's tragic. It's, it's, the, it's almost like the ultimate tragedy when you're... That was your life's work, and then to have that happen. Yeah, and Carrie, Carrie and I are really good friends and stuff like that. We've been friends, like I said, since 2011, and it's just you know I'm just shooting her messages, saying you know here I'm I'm here for you and supporting you and everything. And she's thankful. She's actually wanted me to come out to LA for a couple of um, uh, uh, things for her Case from Cares Foundation and stuff like that. Um, you know, in LA, a couple benefits and stuff. But you know, when you look at the stuff that her dad did, you know, he voiced Shaggy from Scooby Doo for yep. forty years, and he did Robin and Super Friends. He did, you know, some of the Autobots and Transformers. Yeah, he was in Transformers, which is and awesome. The surprising thing was, you know, they were old Rankin Bass cartoons and movies. He did, you know, Peter Cottontail. Peter Cottontail. How cool is that? Which was awesome. And I love Rankin Bass. I had a Peter Cottontail videotape. Yeah. And up until yesterday when I read the article about the voices he did, I'm like, wait a minute, he did Peter Cottontail. Yeah, I know. It's pretty incredible. He was even in Josie and the Pussycats. He was Alexander Cabot III. Yep. And I mean, just, I mean, for me, it was, it was, it was not just that. I mean, of course it was America's Top 40. Oh, and my I God. I date yeah. myself a little bit there. But, uh, but, I mean, who didn't grow up? With Scooby Doo, and I mean, I was, and if I look at the list of this, and I'm like, this was my childhood right here. 
and you don't really put that into perspective, especially in nerd culture. You have to put into perspective that he was right there yeah. in this, and he was such a huge part of your childhood once you actually take a second to look at what he did. When you look at the, the, the story James put up yesterday of all the stuff he did, and it has over 40,000 views and clicks and on it. it's being shared and all over it's the being place. over 70 shares, and people are like, well, the one thing we read a lot of people share it is they didn't know he did all this stuff. I and mean, they knew he did Shaggy and a couple other things, but they didn't know how he was pretty much everything in your childhood. And, and he had some sort of character. And and we were when we were talking about this, and I'll pull the curtain back on the show a little bit because we do a lot of talking about the show behind the scenes. And I said that, you know, with us being in radio, it's easy for us to appreciate Casey Kasem and look up to him and understand why this is a big deal. And I said that a lot of people probably don't know why we're going to be talking about this. And to me, that was a shame. So in a way, finding this finding this list of what he did and being able to share it with everybody was kind of my way of reaching out to people who weren't as educated on it and saying, look, look at what he did yeah. for a second. And you'll understand why not only are we talking about this, but that this is a big deal. This guy wasn't just maybe the greatest radio DJ. He ever. started. I mean, he started the whole top forty thing. Yeah, I it, mean, it, it, you know, you he, listen to a countdown. You, Ryan Seacrest owes Casey Kasem everything. Oh yes, he does. Not well, Dick Clark too, because Dick Clark helped Ryan. Right, but, but Casey this is different. But Casey, he took over for Casey when Casey retired in '09. Right, exactly. So I mean, just think about. Everything in modern society that he's partially responsible for. Yeah. Not just on the radio, but as far as a voice actor in these cartoons that he did. It's unbelievable. It's, it's just the, the range. Like I said, you know, I never met Casey, you know, but just to work in that same building that he did, it, it was such an honor. It was such a, you know, you know just uh, uh, not just any fanboy or geek, but just anybody's dream. To, when you work, to know that I worked, in the, I can say I worked in the same building as this legend did. And we don't want to move on without saying, and this one's for you, Casey, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. And again, to to Carrie and her siblings, you know, our hearts and prayers are with you and your family. And, uh, you know, um, to, to Carrie, I just want to personally say thank you for being such an amazing friend over these past, you know, f- four years. It's been, you know, helped me out a lot and she's such an amazing person your dad really did put those amazing qualities in you and your siblings so with that being said it's time to move on to a, a topic which is a lot more brighter in a sense and pretty much deals with somebody other from our also from our childhood James and it was funny that when I first saw this and it was that Sonic is going to be coming to the big screen and I actually thought wait a minute are they talking about because they said it was a Sonic movie I'm like okay well are they going to do an animated flick is it going to be a TV thing no it's actually going to be Sonic on the big screen going to develop the feature film with in partner with Sony and Sega and it's going to be a hybrid live action CGI movie now and they said that it's going to be Dr. Eggman that's going to be no, in the movie. It's not Dr. Eggman. It's Dr. Robotnik. I know this is Eggman, but I don't know why the hell he wanted to change I, his name. I don't Doctor, know. He is not. I am not calling I him Dr. Eggman. He is Dr. Goddamn Robotnik. I'm ju- I just wanted to make sure I read it the way it was here so we got the information out uh-huh. there. I'm with you, though. I'm with you. And they're gonna And they're going to actually try and incorporate stuff from the game from... The two decades of Sonic. But right. here's my thing. And not that I wasn't a, f- 
a fan of Sonic. Isn't this movie about 15 years too late? It is, because, you know, especially when you look at all the bad publicity all the Sonic games and new ones have had, you know, there's been horrible games. Not to mention incorporating him into some of the Super Smash Wii stuff and the Smash Brothers. And there, there hasn't, I can't remember the last time when there was a decent Sonic game that, I, that even looked remotely interesting for me. There was a, a cartoon done. Um, I forgot what site it was on, but it was it was actually pretty hilarious. It was pretty much like Sonic is like a waiter at a restaurant. He's taking like Mario's order, and I've seen that. And Mario's like, well, we'll post it on the page. And Mario's like, hey, oh, hi, how's it going? And Sonic's like, well, I'm working here now. And you know, and worst comes to worst, Sonic pretty much hates his life pretty much. That's kind of how it went for Sonic though, for pretty much the entire run. It was always, oh, Sonic's great, but wait, now the new Mario game is out, yeah. kind of thing. It was like the episode of The Simpsons where Lisa gets her own doll, yeah, and then Malibu Stacy comes out with a new hat, and everybody rushes to that. That's what it was like for Sonic. It was never that Sonic wasn't great. It was that every time Mario did something new, everybody rushed for that. But I mean, you know, yeah, it's it's. I'm sorry, but I don't like when you, especially when it comes to Sonic. It's like I don't like the whole Elvin Chipmunks eyes, real no, life scenario. No. But it's me three G characters, three D characters. Here's it's like my thing, though. CG characters. It's, I'm just like you know, can we just do a fucking two D animated movie? Because I mean, look, well, can we just do that? Like, does it hurt? Like, like no, like, I don't like, see why you would have to put live action in this at all. I think that's a huge mistake. I think and don't make it CG. It's risky anyway. It's risky it, anyway. Why do this? So it, the way I would see it, the way I would do it is do it all animated, but do it like TMNT. The way they did the TMNT, right, movie, right, right. I would shoot it like that. You make sure it's all animated, but it's you know the upper scale animation that they've been using for feature films. And do it that way, but don't, don't, don't do live action and animation because how often has that worked out? Roger Rabbit is the only thing that pops. It's in the my only head. thing that worked. Yeah, Roger Rabbit's the only thing that where it worked. And that was the and that was the first one, pretty much. Yes. So I mean, why? I mean, Looney Tunes back in action. You really want that to happen? No. Again? No. You really want that to happen? No. Space you Space Jam. You don't want that to happen. Oh no! And they're gonna make another one of those, by the way. On a side, on a total side note, well, we just will leave that alone. But I, I just don't know why. Why <laughs> my wife loves cartoons. She's like, why do I need these people? I don't need people. She loves cartoons. So why would you want to yeah. incorporate? I, this is one of those times where I will agree with my wife. Why do we need people in this movie? You don't. It's not. It's going to be corny. It's not going to make sense. It's going to be one of those movies that you see where it's like, ugh. Really? really, that's how they're going to do it. You're killing it here. It's just I I don't know, but what else? But other than Sonic, Shibuya Productions and Tenzuka Productions are teaming up with Karibara Animation to reboot Astro Boy with a new animated series as well. The show's going to be twenty-six episode season geared towards eight to twelve year olds, which so, is smart, which is very, very smart. smart. Um, who have never seen anything with the character in the two thousand nine animated movie, which also is very smart. bad. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. Um, it's going to be both 2D and CGI animation, which I think they should use for Sonic. Um, it's time to use Sony and Sega. And Astro Boy, this is a pretty interesting thing. It debuted in Japan in 1960, and it saw so much crossover success in other countries, including the U.S. It has been remade and rebooted to a TV and film in 1980, 03, and of course in 09. However, that 
film grossed less than $40 million. Which, with the budget that you would need for a film like that, that was that's just not good. But, I'm, I mean, I like some anime. I'm not a big anime fan, but there are certain <sighs> animes I do like. Like, I'm going to, like, when the new Dragon Ball Z movie comes out in the theaters, I'm going to see that. I am not a fan of anime at all. I just don't like the style. And I, it's a personal preference for me. I'm not going to bash it, because there's plenty of people that love it. I'm not gonna bash it. It's just, it's just not for me. I'm not an anime fan. But like I said, it's, we'll see how that goes. I'm actually excited for it because actually, like I said they're going back to where Astro Boy should be. You well, know? and you should gear it for that age range. And I think that they really didn't for the film, and that's why it didn't work. I would like to see a Speed Racer um, reboot and have it geared towards like teenagers, kind of the thing. That's kind of like the only anime-ish kind of thing I ever really liked was Speed, Speed Racer. Speed Racer. But again, that was probably the an age thing for me too because I was I was younger at the time when Speed Racer was still was still new but I could see that I, well I mean they kind of just redid Speed, Ra- Speed Racer not too long with ago with the movie maybe it's not time yet but if, they, if you geared it more towards teenagers that would be interesting it, it would be interesting I could see that kind of working if you did it right so we're on I'm on point for the whole art and stuff like that for Astro Boy Sonic yeah Go do what Astro Boy's doing, man. But as far as art goes, as far as comics and everything else goes, Mark Wade did an interview with Comic Book Resources. And there's two questions that stuck out to me, James, that pretty much, um, you know, uh, caught my attention. The first one being, um, the question was, and he he owns a comic shop now. Muncie, Indiana, yeah. Yep. um, And he was asked if owning a shop gives him new appreciation for other retailers and does it change his approach as a creator. And he said, quote, it does, the process. What it's doing is, and I knew all this stuff intellectually, but there's a big difference between knowing it intellectually and really facing it. It's forcing me to work harder as a writer and creator. The sheer flood of material that comes in every week or when you pick up the Diamond Catalog, which is larger than most small-town phone books, it really puts your work into perspective. And he pretty much just says, you know, how it... um, the kind of behavior would pull out smaller stores out of business in terms of the noise ratio and just the the whole market in general and just the whole deep shelves. You're getting all these big catalogs. You're getting all these these you know such deep deep shelves. It's gonna hurt. it could hurt smaller um, comic book shops. It's interesting too. And the reason this guy's credibility, if you're not sure why, he was actually editor of DC for two years, starting in 1987. He actually left to do some freelance, and in that time, he did stuff. Captain America, The Flash, Superman, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man. He's got a cool graphic novel, if you've never picked it up, called Kingdom Come, where it's basically how the how other deal how other heroes would deal with Superman's death right. in the aftermath kind of thing. But I think that this makes a good point there because and and I think that the thing that stuck out to me was the signal to noise ratio, because especially when Marvel launched all those new number ones of also ran characters. And I think that's what he means by noise. Stuff like Iron Patriot and uh, Silver Surfer and stuff like that, which Silver Surfer could have been done better, but I digress. Um, I think that, and Bob and I have talked about this from Fantasy Escape in the past, that he said, look, I can get one or two copies of certain things, but there's so much, with all the independent stuff, I can't carry 10 to 12 books of this stuff because it's just too risky. Yeah. And it's the signal to noise ratio that Mark Wade's talking about here. It's that sheer volume of stuff that you can't get everything. You can't move everything. So when he says that 
it actually forces him to work harder as a writer and creator. I think that's what separates you if you're an IDW or a Dark Horse or an Image Comics. Okay, you've got all this stuff from DC and all this stuff from Marvel. What's going to set you apart from the stuff that's known and the stuff that they're doing now? And I think that one of the things that's really crossed that threshold has been the Walking Dead comic. Right, and... You know, you, you look at the volume of noise, and yeah, you said you can only carry, you know, small shops can only carry so much. And it's just like, you know, you look at something, and it's, it's mostly because, you know, say for instance, like the independent stuff, it might be like 12 issues, it might not, it won't be like a year long thing. Mm-hmm. But when you look at that compared to something like a Batman Turn, which is like a year long run from DC, it's like, okay, well, where's my money gonna be? And where, you know, I can't, you know, I only have 12 issues here. But I'd rather spend more spend the money to get the year round of a certain Batman arc or or DC or Marvel arc, you know, instead of going with twelve indie books I might not be able to sell. And let's be honest with ourselves here. And and as as readers, not just as podcasters, but as readers, you know, we we only have so much cash here. Yeah. And we've only got so much, so much time to read the things that we pull. I mean, I'm behind on some of my reading right now. I'll admit that. I mean. I'm not going to drop Batman Zero Year to focus on Ghostbusters. Yeah. It's not going to happen. And, you know, and I'm sure the guys at IDW do a great job with that. Or I think, I think that's who runs uh, Ghostbusters anyway. Correct me if I'm wrong on that on our Facebook page. But, and and that's, the, that's the difficulty. I mean, you want to do right by the independent publishers. I mean, you and I are both going to be picking up Winter World this week. Yes. So, and I'm really <laughs> excited to talk about that next week. But you can only put so much of your money in that because you're not going to dump Batman. You're not going to dump stuff like Original Sin or The Hulk to pick up something that you're not sure if you're going to enjoy. Yeah, but shifting from that question to this one, which James pretty much, we we, uh, talked last night and he saw me and he goes... Dude, you're going to lose your shit. Yep. <laughs> so, James, do you want to do the honors of reading set oh questions, maybe gosh. set answers? So, the, basically, the question was shifting from commerce to the artistic side. When was the last time you had a relatory experience with a piece of art? And this is where Mark Wade just pretty much loses me. He said, this is the God's honest truth. And right there when he started, I'm like, what's he going to say? I'm going to finish as much of this as I can okay. before I lose my mind. He says, and I quote, Javier Rodriguez, our colorist on Daredevil. He also does a lot of the penciling and artwork on his own. He's just so good. He did a two-page spread for Daredevil that came in two weeks ago that put anything I've seen in comics to shame. Time out. Time out. Time out. Um, I have like three issues of Daredevil. Fuck that book. Because... It was, in terms of art, horrible. I mean, my first horrible. reaction, when I, and that's how far I got before I stopped. The first thing I said is, are you out of your friggin' mind? What did you just say? And he makes it worse by saying, put anything I've seen in comics to shame. Dude, what are you looking at? Yes. What are you looking at? And I, and I wanted that Daredevil book to be good, too, because the, I wanted to jump back in before the Netflix The Little started. Caesars flip book I had as a child had much oh, better art gosh. than anything and, in that new Daredevil run. And you know what? Maybe the color is good. It's very it's colorful. It's very colorful. But the inks are terrible. The pencilers are terrible. And you and I are big, big supporters of artists, and we love you guys if you're listening to the show. 
Don't at all take this that we're bashing your profession. We're bashing an individual who's doing crappy art on a crappy book that should have never hit shelves in the first place, along with that silver surfer giant turd that Marvel put out recently. And for anybody that had a shred of credibility in the comics industry to come out and say that it puts anything I've seen in comics to shame makes me want to flush this entire interview down the toilet. It's just... Uh, and, and Rodriguez, he's leaving the current Daredevil run as his colorist, and he's returning to be an artist full-time, so much luck, much luck to him. Um, but it's it just, dude, I mean, maybe he's saying, and it's probably saying, maybe, okay, maybe he's saying it because he's it's leaving. His guy. It's his guy. Yeah. So he's going to, you know, he's not going to trash him or whatever. But it's like, dude, the Daredevil, it's, it's the art, it's, it's not good. Like, I read... And I, that's the main problem with the book. Yeah, like, I read Hulk number four... This week, and the way that Daredevil and Daredevil's in it, and the way that they drew him was amazing. Yes, and let me put it this way: you remember the comics that we talked about in episode one that were coming in the cereal boxes, the Justice mm-hmm. League comics, which I've still hung on to a few of. Yeah. The art in the cereal box comics are better than the art in Daredevil. What does that tell you? Oh, I God. understand that Mark Wade is a respected guy in the industry not just for what he did in the past but for his shop that he has now and the way he runs things and I think he does have a unique perspective having been in the business right and now running a shop and kind of still trying to do some creative stuff as well but when you say something like that and it was a great it was actually a great interview that he did with comic book resources people but when you say something like that to me it's like I I don't know if I can listen to the rest of what you're saying if he would have just said, it's good art, maybe I wouldn't have gotten so frustrated by it. But when he actually said, put anything I've seen in comics to shame, if I'm one of these other artists yeah. that knows him, I'd be like, dude, what the hell? Well, you remember, he's doing the Hulk run, too. So if you're the artist on Hulk, you're saying, what the hell, dude? I'm sorry, but and I'm going to give a couple of our guys props here. Guys like Drew Moss. Matt Slay. Matt Slay. Kick Javier Rodriguez in the balls, okay? <laughs> I mean, these guys are working on, and, and Drew's doing some, did some great and, stuff and, with Crow yeah. Pestilence. And our boy Riley Brown, too. Riley Brown. Matt Slay. If you haven't seen Matt Slay's art for his new Icarus that he's doing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. And to say somebody like Javier Rodriguez is putting anything I've seen in comics to shame, then Drew Moss and Matt Slay might as well be gods in their own right. And because Mark Deering as well. And Mark Deering as well, because inking is sexy, boys. Inking is sexy. And and I just I don't know how you can how can you say that and mean it. I really hope he was just giving his boy a pat on the back out the door because if he meant that, then Mark Wade should go sit in a shack somewhere, read books for the rest of his life, and try and think about what he just said. Yes, you must. Or just just go to the Louvre and just be like, this is art. This, not so much. And you know what? Who am I to judge what this guy's saying? But you know what? We do a podcast. This is our friggin' opinion. Yeah. If you don't like it... Turn it the fuck off. Come at me, bro. <laughs> I mean, come on. You explain this to me, why this is great art. Because it's not. Period. And I defy anybody that listens to this show to argue with me on that. Yes, hold my- Dude, this is like the scene from Network. You're like, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. I won't. I will not sit back and let somebody that's supposed to be a respected person in this industry throw out trash like that and get away with it. It should not be done. And we might be the only podcast that has the balls to call somebody like Mark Wade out on this. 
Yes, but I think we've had more balls if he was actually here and we said it. But I would say it to his face. <laughs> Bullshit. I would say it to his face. Bullshit. Like, who the hell are you talking about? And if he explained it to me, maybe I would start to get on his side a little bit. But you know what? Somebody's got to say this stuff. You can't just... Just because the guy's been who he is doesn't mean we should just sit on our friggin' hands and just la-di-da agree with everything he has well, to say. Well, I can only sit on my hands, so I mean... Well, you can only sit on the one. I can only sit on the one. I, I don't think you could sit on the, on the stump, though. I don't think... I that couldn't. That would be, be kind of difficult. It, be, it would be kind of difficult. You, yeah, that would be a very pretzel boy moment for you. I, I, I don't do yoga. You know, I'm training for my Ryu cosplay. Speaking of cosplay... Coming up next, we have our interview with Pterodactyl. You won't want to miss that. And we're going to be talking about everything cosplay. So yep. stick tuned. Our main topic is coming up this week. And our cosplay spectacular, people. You won't want to miss the end of it. Stick around. Don Nerdy. The rest of it. Segment four coming up next. Well, when we were kids for Halloween, we always liked to dress up. But the phenomenon that's been sweeping the nerd nation over the last few years especially has been cosplay. Nerd nation? I think you mean nerd globe. This thing is just taking off everywhere, man. You just look at our Cosplay Tuesday alone. We're recording this episode on Cosplay Tuesday, as a matter of fact. And we've, we've had people from Italy, Spain, Australia, of course the United States, all over Canada. Cosplay is gigantic. Gigantic right now. It is, and I mean, it's, it's such a big, big industry. You know, it's a lot of people who take the time um, to and the money and the money to make these amazing costumes. And I want to give a quick shout out to our boy Christopher Cho, who yes. is living yes. on his dream. He's going to be move. He's going to be on a panel um, at Philly Wizard Con, I believe, mm. uh, about cosplay. He's also moving to San Diego. Um, to focus on making costumes and stuff like that. So much love and respect to Chris out there. Uh, awesome job, dude. We're so proud Which of you. Which is unbelievable. I mean, he was one of the first cosplayers that I told you about when I first saw his Aquaman. Yeah. I was in awe of it. I mean, he's going to, he, if you're going up to Philly Wizard Con, uh, he's going to be in his Aquaman costume last day of the con. Yeah. Get, get as many pictures of that as you can while he's in the area. And he has Captain America at Tidewater Con. Yep. He stands out. Not just because he's a big dude. Yeah. And, and by big, I mean the guy's like built like a gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he's a big guy. So he really embodies the superhero. And especially when, it, you know, you see people like, like if I dress up as Superman, I'm six foot 165. Doesn't really have as much of an effect. When Christopher Cho dresses up as Superman, you kind of get the Superman vibe. And speaking of Superman, uh, for Cosplay Tuesday, we did feature his Superman costume, oh, yeah. which yeah. was amazing. He makes it all himself. He's making a darkness costume, which I believe he's finishing up right now. Yep. And that looks amazing. It really does. It really does. <laughs> now, when you're when you're looking for Cosplay Tuesday photos or when you're in person, uh-huh. what's one of those things that you look for that makes you say, that's a great cosplay? Um... It's something that what I look for is I don't look for I hate the sluttiness I don't like yeah let's talk about that for I don't a I don't like it when girls like I know certain girls have the certain the, the assets and we know, appreciate the female form we, we appreciate it um, but there are girls who do cosplay and they're like I'm Batgirl but I have his pasties attached to my tits it's like you're if she was Melania as a stripper yes yeah, but that's I don't look I, cosplay I don't look for the sexiness I no. look for how good you. Get the character down in terms of you know uh, of dressing up as the character and doing the costume and just even the personality because you have to sometimes act as the oh character. definitely and in some of these cosplay contests the cons you you know that's part of the scoring is how much you embody the character now I don't get too caught up in the 
in too many of the details. If you want to, if it's a great Batman cosplay, but you've got like a beard or something, yeah. If it's a great cosplay, I don't care. Yeah. You don't have to look exactly like. Now you're not going to win any contests. No. But it could still be a good cosplay. I'm not going to knock your immaculate Batman suit because you've got a mustache. I'm not going to care. But uh, what I really look for is I look for uh, true to the character as far as the costume goes. Right. I don't care what you look like. That's the, that's the same thing with me. Give me a costume. Like, we've seen plenty of... Uh, like, there was one at Tidewater Con. I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. But he was an African-American gentleman. Yeah. And he was doing a Robin yeah. cosplay. And it was fantastic. Now, has there ever been an African-American Robin? Not that I can think of. Well, it's like, with me, has there ever been a one-armed Ryu? Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, does that mean that it's not a great Robin cosplay? No, because I was looking at this guy's costume, and he had the bow staff, which was great. And just the attention to detail, I think it was Mark Howard was the, was the guy's name. Right. Um, and the attention to detail he had, just like in the R on the on the Robin costume and how he got the colors just right. Mm-hmm. He got the cape just right. I mean, even, you know, head to toe. He was Robin, period. And that's what I look for. I look for the costume itself to be true to form. And I think that that, for me, is what makes a great cosplay. And I, I think, and, and you've got to have some sort of trueness to the character, too, as well, though. Yeah, I think that that's the most important thing to detail. And like I said, you know, I appreciate, we appreciate the female form, but like I said, it's just that when when you're saying well I have boobs or I have this I'm just gonna flaunt it and everything that's fine but it's like it's it's not what I personally look for in a cosplay right. and I mean there's certain cosplays where you kind of have no choice like if you're doing Zatanna yeah as a cosplay you're gonna be showing plenty of leg and a little bit of cleavage because right. that's just how the character's drawn right that's different. But if you're doing it just to do it, then I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, you're crossing the line from cosplay into... <laughs> I don't want to say what I'm really thinking. Right. You're crossing that line into just trying to get attention. Right. How about I put it that way? Negative attention. And, and, and there's some of that that goes on at, at cons as well. Well, Nicole from Action Pack wrote a nice article about you know harassment at cons, how she was harassed at cons and stuff like that. Yeah, like, there's thing in the cosplay community where they say cosplay is not consent. Right. And this goes for the men too, because you know men get their fair share of harassment oh, depending yeah, on the costume too. So it's for men and women, and I think that one of the things that Nicole was alluding to. And if you look at her cosplays, actually, they're very true to the character. Yeah. So she's doing it the right way. But, you know, just because you love her Batgirl costume and you're all revved up, you know, you got your hormones going, doesn't mean you've got your, the right to put your hands on her yeah. for that. And I think that she wrote that in a very respectful way. And I think that happens a lot with cosplaying. This does, Just because I'm wearing the costume of the character that brings out your fantasy or because you like the way my body looks doesn't mean doesn't give you the right to put your hands all over me yeah and I think that that's a very good point that has been needed to be made by more people in the cosplay community because unfortunately we go to cons we behave ourselves yes you know we appreciate how good a woman might look in a costume yeah but we don't cross the line no especially for me I'm married I would never do that you're a single guy you'd still never do that no because I have respect for women (laughs) exactly you've got to respect women and just because they're dressed up in sometimes scantily clad outfits 
being true to the character, like Injustice Harley Quinn, right? something like that, does not mean that you have the right to grope them. No. Sorry, guys. And um, as a matter of fact, speaking of Injustice Harley Quinn, <laughs> one of the best cosplays I think I've ever had was Jessica Nagiri's Injustice Harley Quinn, which was pretty is, is pretty much close to perfect as you can get yeah. for a Harley Quinn cosplay if you're doing it that way. She just she did a fantastic job. She's actually one of my favorites because she not only does the comic book uh, heroes, she actually she dabbles in video games yeah. and stuff. Like she's done uh, some Assassin's Creed yep. stuff before. She's done some anime stuff. So I like it when you can span not just one specific genre. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But that you can span multiple genres as well. Yeah. So I think that's a very cool thing. I mean, speaking does. of video games, one of the best video game costumes we've seen is Pterodactyl's Lara Croft. I mean, that was simply amazing. Oh, and, definitely. And how very close to character she was. And we actually got the chance to sit down with Terrell and pick her brain a little bit when it came to cosplay. So without further ado, let's get right to our interview with Pterodactyl. Episode 16 of Down and Nerdy is here. What's up? I'm Nick Battaglia alongside James Witham. And James, we actually have a very awesome guest this week, somebody who has been on our Cosplay Tuesday more than a couple of times. Uh, Pterodactyl joins us. Terrell, how are you doing today? Uh, it's going really good. It's been a good day so far, so Terrell, thanks for joining us. Now, first question is, how long have you been cosplaying for? Um, it depends on exactly how you define cosplaying, because I've, like, I've been into costumes ever since I was really little. Like, Halloween was my favorite holiday. I always went all out. Um, uh, so, essentially, since I, you know, can remember. Um, but yeah, I've been, like, going to events and actually, like, really cosplaying for just a couple of years now. I remember when I was a little kid, I used to have a, a playroom in my parents' house, and I had a box full of costumes and different outfits and stuff like that I would pretend, play with, and just dress up in. And James, I know you probably flew around your house with your Superman cape once in a while, didn't you? I got people on, what, most of the time when I was younger? So, I mean, I think I switched between Batman and Robin, which is kind of weird. I would always be either Batman or Robin, never Superman, it was always Batman or Robin, but I mean, I did like the ninja stuff typically that you would do when you were younger too, so, and my life is all about Halloween now, so like Terrell said, Halloween even now, we go all out, so I know exactly what you're talking about there, yeah. So Terrell, you've been cosplaying, you said, for a couple of years. Now, what kind of special skills and tricks of the trade have you picked up since you started cosplaying? Yeah, well, um, I've been sewing for quite a while. Um, that's, so I like essentially make all of my costumes from scratch. Um, so it's just kind of now I'm trying to figure out how to make armor because my next big cosplay goal, uh, actually for Halloween this year, is Xena. I've been wanting to do it for a long time. Um, so that's that's I like to challenge myself when it comes to building costumes and yeah. then um, I usually. Trying to find a pattern, a pattern that's um, close to what I need to make. Um, so that's, that's helped over the years, but now I'm actually starting to make my own patterns and stuff too. So, yeah, it's really fun. I think you get a lot of respect in the cosplay community too when you are making your own costumes. 
expos and cons do you walk around the halls and kind of look out and scout you know who is dressed up as who so that way there's not an abundance or overabundance of a certain character and it kind of gives you an idea of who to cosplay as and kind of be the only one there sort of um like i don't see myself doing it at like um Oh gosh, like a Frozen or a Tangled cosplay anytime soon because it's something that's really common right now. And I like to kind of be outside the box with that. Um, so, I mean, my Lara Croft is even, it's, you know, Angelina Jolie version is uh, someone that seems to really grab me because um, a lot of people are just are doing the, the new Lara right now too, so... Now, if you speak about outside the box, I gotta say that me personally, I think my favorite cosplay of yours that I've seen was the was the Ghostbusters cosplay that you did. So that was so unique, so original. Talk about you know what went into that and what made you decide to do such a unique take on it. Okay, um, well I am part of the Ghostbusters of BC, so we're a community of cosplayers that dress as Ghostbusters and. Um, fundraise essentially for uh, BC Children's Charity. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so that's what we were doing uh, at that expo this year. And so everybody has their own Ghostbusters costume, but everybody is supposed to kind of put their own flair into it. So um, I'm total metal head, and I was like, I'm going to put my own metal, yeah, metal chick flair into right. it. So, um, I make chainmail as well, so I had to add a bit of chainmail, and, uh, yeah, yeah, so it was, it was nice. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you also did some team up work with Cobra North recently. Tell us a little bit about that. Just joined up, because a couple members of the Ghostbusters are in Cobra North as well, um, so they wanted another time trooper, um, so, yeah, and that's, that's still the works right now. Unfortunately, my schedule is uh, quite busy, so it's been difficult to get over to Vancouver and get together. We're definitely looking forward to that, but it seems like to me like the cosplay community is very tight-knit community. You kind of like to help each other out. What can you say about how it, how together it is and how other cosplayers have helped you out and vice versa? Oh, yeah. Um, we just, I don't know, we all admire each other and the work that goes into everyone's costumes so it's just kind of through admiring you know different people and um then we just get to talking and just the support just builds and builds and builds and especially over the past couple of years i've been doing this i've just met some incredible people some like really really talented people um i mean even the ghostbusters like they make all their own packs from from scratch 
Yeah, and you know, some of these packs have the, the sound effects, uh, lights, and everything, and just, I mean, that just blows my mind. I, I still need to work on my own, so. It's actually pretty cool you said that, Terrell, because James and I, we were at Tidewater Comic Con, the first one actually, a couple months ago. They had people dressed up as Ghostbusters, and they had to work in proton packs and all the lights and everything. And it really got me thinking about how much, not just dedication, but time and, of course, money goes into this. And if there's anybody out there who is trying to get into cosplay or just thinking about getting into cosplay, what kind of advice could you give them into making their first costume? Um, start small. So I'd start with a cosplay that's fairly simple to create. Um, and then kind of go from there and work on work on your skills fully. Um, your, your costume doesn't have to be perfect in the beginning, um, so just have fun with it. That's that's what it's all about. It's, it's really having fun. I think that's the main key is, is having fun with it. Now, it's, sometimes you get people that kind of cross the line at conventions, you know, cosplayers, and, you know, might not be as nice for a part of the community or even fans, so how do you deal with any kind of negative reaction you get like oh this Ghostbusters lettering isn't right or something like that how, how do you deal with that do you just kind of take it in stride or does it come sometimes yeah I just uh, I don't know I kind of watch that stuff off. I haven't really had any close encounters with anything like that yet um but I, I mean being part of, of Geek Girls we have got some nasty messages about our cosplay and I mean we accept everything on the website so it's not just the Geek Girls it's, it's from other cosplayers and other you know fans and stuff who want to submit so I mean some of the stuff I'm not even particularly a fan of but it, it's you know everybody's taking pieces of the geekdom that they love and doing their own thing with it and I think that's great. When it comes to cosplaying, Terrell, what sort of do's and don'ts do you have uh, when it comes to the art of cosplay? Well, I'm not a fan of the uh, twisted, slutty cosplayers. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist. Um, when I do my cosplay, I like to really keep it true to the character. And even if you already do a twist on it, like how would that character like you gotta get inside the character's mind and what they would actually do in the, the twist I mean that's how I see it anyway so um yeah I mean we're all gonna do whatever they want but yeah I mean when I see that you know when you see people dressing in very risque cosplays you have to also think too that these cons and expos are very family oriented very family friendly places too as well yeah Oh, Lady Roki. 
that's gonna be Ooh. Yeah, nice. Yeah. That's that's on my list too, but that's not gonna happen. I smell a Kickstarter coming. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, that's actually one of the things I love about cosplay too, is just the whole different twists and takes on certain characters um, and the gender bends out there as well. Uh, what is one of those kind of gender bend cosplays you've seen that was just made you go, wow, that's that's just phenomenal? Um, well, I've seen a couple of the, the geek girls do uh, female Beetlejuice, and I love it. Like, they've done some yeah, great stuff with that, and I'm a huge Beetlejuice fan. I was actually, like, Beetlejuice when I was little. That was one of my Halloween costumes. I didn't want to be Lydia. I had to be Beetlejuice. I had a mask with the snakes that popped out of the head when you press the button, and it's and the big fear of sandworms as well. <laughs> well, yeah, and James and I, we are going to be actually cosplaying for the first time at the second annual Taiwan Comic Con in October. And he's going to be Arrow, and I'm going to be Ryu from Street Fighter. And it's pretty awesome and kind of a great feeling to be in costume for the first time. I don't know, there's something that comes over you, you kind of have like, you're like, you feel a little bit powerful in costumes. <laughs> Yeah, and seeing how I'm going to be reading from Street Fighter, I've actually started a four-month weight training program and stuff like that and, and a new diet. And also, I can't sew, so I'm probably going to have to order a costume or something. Um, but I do know how to make my own Hadouk, and I actually found a video on how to do it and take some styrofoam balls and uh, a couple of LED lights and stuff like that to make your own Hadouken. And James, I mean, you, you don't know how to sew, dude. I mean, could the wife maybe possibly sew something for you as what well, you know, for your costume? Yeah, she probably could. I mean, you know, the only thing I've really done to prepare for my Arrow cosplay is look in the mirror and just repeat, you have failed this city. And yeah, but that's something you do every day, though, James, when you wake up, no matter what city you're in. This is true. No matter what city I'm in. <laughs> now, Terrell, five to ten years ago, I doubt that people would have thought that maybe cosplay would be as big as it is now or get to the length and the level that it's ascended to today. So, I mean, what's your overall reaction just seeing how amazing and how fast this art of cosplay has gotten? Well, I just love the fact that something that I've been in love with and, you know, what I've been doing for so long has become so popular that people are really into it now. Um, so yeah, it's just, I, it's great to see so many people getting into it. Yeah, definitely. And let's say somebody was gonna, this is kind of an interesting question that I came up with yesterday. Um, say somebody was gonna go to a con and cosplay as Pterodactyl. What is the one thing they'd have to have to, for people to say, yes, nailed it? <laughs> well, um, that's why I mean, jeez. Uh, I guess I have to kind of think when you, you know you got like those Facebook bit strips versions of you. So boots, black leather boots, that's kind of my signature. Um, alright, alright, I can see that. <laughs> uh, just a simple tank top or metal tee and um, some skinny jeans, and that's kind of uh, long dark hair. So for Terrell Dactyl fans listening to the show, there you go. You got it. I actually listened to the soil work the other day, Terrell. Thank you for so much for getting me hooked on them. I love soil work, yeah. Now, when it comes to social media, Terrell, and people wanting to see more of your cosplay, where can they go and check out your stuff? Yeah, um, I'm on Facebook, uh, Terrell Dactyl uh, Model. I think it's my, yeah, Facebook name. Um, I'm also 
Instagram, under the same Carol underscore Dactyl. I'm working on getting a Tumblr up and going. Um, one of my friends is working on it because I've, I've been quite busy myself. Um, so that'll be up and running really soon too. Oh, and I have um, I have a YouTube account, but I haven't really done too much with that lately. So there you go, folks. If you want to get in contact with her, that's how you can get in contact with Terrell Jackson. Now, you also have some shoots lined up this month, too, don't you, Terrell? Uh, a couple shoots lined up this month, yes. Um, so I will be dressed as Twisted Little Red Riding Hood for one of them, um, a costume that I made a couple years ago. Uh, it's actually kind of based off of um, a character from a, a book that I really love, uh, Sisters Red. So it's these two sisters that are essentially brawl hunters, and um, their grandmother was killed by a werewolf, and so now they go behind. Very cool. And um, then I, I have a pirate, a pirate shoot that's kind of loosely based off of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. From actually, I guess that would be kind of my original cosplay costume that I made years ago. Well, Terrell, thanks for joining us on Don Nerdy. James and I had a blast doing so, and um, good luck with your shoots there coming up and everything else going on um, with your career, and have a great day. Thanks. It's just great to sit down with somebody that actually has been doing this for a while and get their perspective on it. It really is, and I think one of the things I liked about Terrell's interview, um, and thanks to her for letting us you know, get in contact with her and just sit down and talk about this, is... You know, she, again, we talk about the attention to detail and just who, you know, what does you, do you, does she look for in a cosplay? And she said, you know, it's how true to the character are you? You know, again, she's not for the really the sluttiness right. either. Um, but she said, you know, it's more about the character. It's more, that's what it's about. It's about owning that character. And I think the, the one thing that uh, she alluded to, too, that I liked was how cosplay is a community. I mean, you watch shows like Heroes of Cosplay on Sci-Fi and you can see how they're competitive but they also want to help each other out. And it's that camaraderie of doing shoots together and being at cons together and just seeing the sheer time and volume that goes into some of these costumes. You can't help but respect. If you're doing this and, you're, and you have a good appreciation for it, you're respecting somebody else that has a great costume. Well, Terrell, and we didn't mention this on the interview, but she's been doing like she's been a professional makeup artist for like eight years. Yeah. And um, she also, you know, and it's just, I love when, you know, she's talking about, you know, she's been sewing for a long time, now she's learning how to make armor, and it's just like, you know, she's, you know, it's just constantly bettering herself, which is awesome. It's just a great ambition that I as, you know, not as a guy, but just as somebody who loves cosplay, yeah. I like to see, it's just that ambition where you're not doing the same stuff to where you're like, you know, let me conquer this. Let right, exactly. This. And it makes you push yourself. And I think it's great that cosplayers have been doing this forever, like Yaya Han, will reach out to these younger cosplayers and say, okay, here's how you how you might want to do this. Let me help you with this. They're not just trying... It's not a community that tries to keep people down that want to start doing this or want to get started. They're a community that wants to help each other because they love it. And if you see that somebody else loves something, you want to f- help them further it rather than hold them down. Because at the end of the day, yes, there are contests, but... Your work should speak for itself. I think I think one of the funniest, actually one of the best questions you asked was, uh, 
Um, if there was a pterodactyl cosplay, yeah, yeah. what would it be? I think I totally threw her off with that question, but uh, she answered it. She answered it. She answered it. Metal so. tee, leather boots. Awesome. <laughs> so we're going to see that at Tidewater Con this year, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I know we've got a lot of locals listening to the show in 757, so we want to see your pterodactyl cosplays. And we'll share them. You know, we'll let her give you some tips. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you do it right. But so. no, I mean, she was awesome. I mean, just very down to earth, very open, very... Just awesome. It was like we knew her for years. You know it what really saying? was, yeah. And you know, we look forward to having her back on the show. Yeah. Some of the other cosplayers, like I'd love to get uh, Justin a character on the show. From he's you know he's done the Batman yep. cosplay that we posted. He's done some great death strokes. His cable is awesome. He's in Australia. Love getting a chance to talk to him. Yeah. And a lot of the other cosplayers around and the world as well. Again, we want to get Nicole and Christina from Action Pack. Oh, on, definitely. Like yeah, yeah. Talked to Nicole. She was interested in, in doing the show. Um, it's just a whole scheduling thing, which is just a little bit tough. And these cosplayers, you'd be surprised how busy they are. They're lining up shoots. Think about how long it takes to make these costumes and the detail work there is. So not only do they have, I don't want to say real jobs, but you know what I mean. Yeah. They, they have you know nine to fives just like the rest of us. So they have to not only take the time to do their regular job that pays the bills, but you have to put these costumes together that sometimes they're staying up all night to finish. Yeah, well, and Terrell said that the one costume she's looking forward to, she's working on now, or going to be working on, is Xena. That's going to be good. <laughs> Which is going to be awesome. Yeah, so I can't see how good. that turns out. Um, but no, I think overall in cosplay, it's amazing how it's turned out. and It's amazing. You know, the fact that we're doing it, I'm excited about doing it. And the fact mm-hmm. was, I'm, I asked when I asked her, I was like, you know, what... Do, advice do you have for us or somebody that's going into this type of environment she says just own it just just yeah. go and, and own it and that's what and that's what you've got to do and I mean when you see us at Tidewater Con is our are our cosplays going to be perfect probably not first of all they're our first cosplays but uh, second of all you know we're not professionals in no. cosplay <laughs> we're just doing it because A we respect it and B it's fun why not do it for fun? Well, I think that, you know, in terms of, of earning respect, I think I I did that when I told her, you know, so I'm doing this Ryu thing. And even though I told her and I said, I'm, I'm going to be buying my costumes, I can't sew. I don't know how to sew or make a costume. Right. But the fact is I'm going to be tra- I'm training. I'm, four, I'm almost a month into training to get my body into the shape of Ryu. And that was just like you hear go, wow, like that's, you know, just yeah. dedication. It just shows your passion for the craft. Like I said, it, it's I would love to be able to make my own costumes. My mom can make a costume like nothing, but it, I, but you know, just for the time being, I it, I got I, I got to buy one. I would I would struggle to make mine, and I'm still on the fence as to whether or not I'm going to try to do it myself. So I will let everybody know what I decide to do because I don't but know. But I will say this: I am making my own Hadouken. I am doing that. Yes, that you are. Doing. I, I am. Ma- I know how to make one, and I'm going to make one. And uh, I think I don't. I might actually, if I if I don't make anything, I might try to make the bow make for the my bow? hero cosplay. If I if I don't do anything else, I, I will I will at least attempt to do that, and maybe the arrows too, depending because I can't walk in. To the convention center with arrows. Well, you can do I don't with, think they're gonna they have, like that. If they have sucky cups on them, or, you know, or something. Little tennis ball arrows, kind of thing. Yeah. The or, or the the old school boxing glove arrow there from the go. from the from the cartoon era. No, I won't do that. But, <laughs> Jesus. Um, but I mean, it's it's just gonna it's gonna be fun, and and one that's one of the things I enjoy most about going to cons is just seeing all the cosplays. And again, they don't have to be perfect, but no. like when I saw the the Captain Cold cosplay, yeah, a Tidewater Con. Was it perfect? No, it wasn't perfect, but it was cool. And she did do a good job with it. But, it, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it was very cool to see. I want to see 
all these unique characters. You know, like, well, it's like this. Your first cosplay might not be the best one, but, like, look at our first show. Our first show wasn't our best show. No, and I like to think we've come a long way since yes, then. So. but whenever you're doing something, a project or whatever, the first time might is most likely not going to be the best. Yeah, and so I'm... So, after over time, you just got to just work at it and hone it and work at it. And I don't think either one of us is going in there with the delusions that we're going to be winning any contest. No! This year. <laughs> we just want to do it because we want to pay respect to the cosplayers that we respect so much, and we want to have fun just like they are, yeah. which is one of the reasons why we're doing it. So, I mean, just come by our booth at Tidewater Comic-Con, Tidewater Comic-Con in October. Yes. And see what we've got going on. October 18th. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Don Nerdy, our cosplay episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed um, everything that we did this week. And, again, thanks to Pterodactyl for taking some time out of her day to sit down with us and talk about cosplay and just her love for it in general. And if you're a cosplayer out there and you want to be on the show, get a hold of us at Down Nerdy Podcast on Gmail. So go to downnerdypodcast at gmail.com. Say, hey, I'm a cosplayer. I want to be on the show. Or even if you want to, if you have pictures and you want us to just post account, them, man. Yeah, yeah, just go to our our Facebook page, facebook.com at uh, slash down nerdy or go to Twitter at Twitter down nerdy 757 post and let us know if you have questions let us know um, we are big supporters of cosplayers or big supporters of artists if you're an artist yeah like artist Chris, spotlight Sunday like every Christopher Sunday Christopher Cho is not just a, co- a cosplayer he does his own art Ooh, did you see his raven art it was amazing oh, I already t- I told him I said if that's a print if you ever make that a print, sign me up because I, I need that. But again, that's just we're very we love everybody that that likes our page and everything like that. And if, you know, if if you're a listener and you say I want to be on the show, how can I be on the show? Well, come to Tidewater Con October 18th. Come by our booth. We'll be right next to Bob from Fantasy Escape. His table. We're right next to him. We'll have a couple mics lined up. Say yep. hey, you know, we're gonna be moving, switching seats throughout the day. Say hey, you want to be on the show? Feel free. Just come by. We'll take pictures. We're going to be in full cosplay. Right, exactly. We'll take pictures with you. You want, you know, and we're even thinking about maybe broadcasting it live as well. Yeah, and and the thing that people get worried about when you can, we were talking about this on the free comic book day as well. A lot of people are intimidated to go on a podcast because they think think you're going to be judged or something like that. Hey, this is a judgment free zone. Yeah, we're nice guys. We're not douchebags. We're not going to judge you for not knowing every little detail. We don't know every little detail. No, I mean we might even learn some stuff from you. So don't be afraid to sit down with us. Because we're not going to bash you. We're not going to make you, and you know, we're not going to make it out like you're an idiot or anything. That's not our style. We like to interact with you. And if if you make a little bit of a mistake, we're not going to jump all over you for it. No. So don't worry about it. You know, I mean, Cody might, but I mean, <laughs> no, even Cody on Free Comic Book Day was pretty good about that. Kind well, no, of stuff. I mean, it's like you say, well, it, just if you say, well, this person should be cast as this, and they don't meet the manual height to weight requirements. If you, you say that them. Channing Tatum is going to be the greatest gambit ever, look out! But you know, yeah, other, that's, that's yeah, what I'm getting down to. I mean, Cody's a very personal guy, you know, no matter what. But I mean, when you get on that, he might go. F- you know, change face, and he's going to be kingpin too. So watch out for that. He's, he did say he's going to be kingpin. I think it's going to be. I think he's. I hit, it's not confirmed. Yeah, it's still a rumor, but it looks like it's probably going to be kingpin. Oh, that'd be awesome if he was kingpin. I want to talk him into. I want to talk him into the Mandarin because <laughs> he's got the beard. Could you see that though? I could. I, I mean, put the robe on him. Come on. Yeah, it could work. Yeah, he's got the beard. Let's talk him into that. Let's talk him into the Mandarin. So Cody, be the Mandarin, please. That'd be awesome. That'd be fantastic. But. That's going to do it for this week. I'm Nick Pataglia. You can reach me at Twitter, at Nick Pataglia 25 James. I'm at James Ace with him on Twitter. 
And remember, support your local shops, support your local artists, and remember to always practice safe comic book reading, always bag and board your comics.